Oh man, that's great. So um, we, uh, we have a lot to, to go through this morning and um, we're gonna jump in and have, I think, I think, um, some, uh, some kind of continue to have this sort of like eye-opening experience with regard to the Bible. And, um, and, uh, and then we'll talk about um, the next series, which I'm really excited for, uh, the Jesus Creed. And you have, I think you have a card on your, uh, on your seat and with the, the kind of the topics, but it's still like, it's enough of a mystery or at least sort of like, a, I don't, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. Like when you say Jesus Creed, what are you referring to? And that is a great question. And we will be discussing what that is. And, and, and here's the, I'll give you the, you know, what you would have heard on the video um, is uh, the Jesus Creed is something you guys know already, but you don't know that, that it is a creed and that it's, it's Jesus like instituting this new creed. We often call it, the greatest commandment. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he adds a second and he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, the whole, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And what Jesus is doing there is not just simply like teaching a nice thing saying, hey, love God and love others. Though that's like, like you, you could just say, that is all I'm gonna do for my entire life and you will have not wasted your life. Like that is a, that, that's enough. But what Jesus does is so much more than just simply say, well, here's, here's, I'm picking two of the greatest commandments and I'm putting them together. He's actually instituting a new creed that for them would have been blasphemy. That he's doing so much more than just simply pointing out two things. He's changing Something. So you're, we're going to talk about this. We're going to spend our next series talking about why this is such a big deal and why this, why this, what well, we we don't even think of as a change. This subtle change is not so subtle, and it redefines, like if Jesus is now redefining what it means to follow God to the point where where they where they want to kill him. So we're gonna spend um, some time going through this Jesus creed and why it's important and what it means for us, how we can then internalize this very, very important distinction and change and, and tweak that Jesus makes. So come back next week as we intro that and, and, uh, and spend some time going through that. That's gonna be, um, I think, another really great series that, that, um, that is kind of a, 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 you know, like a head tilt, like, oh, huh. I didn't know that, or that's interesting. I never heard that before. So um, before we jump into today, uh, which is our, our, final, our final sermon in this series, um, there's something I wanna, I wanna bring up um, and, and just spend some time praying for, and we've been following, I'm sure maybe you have too in the past few weeks, and that's this, uh, the, uh, the earthquake in Turkey. Have you guys been following this and, and kind of the, 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 the aftermath of it. Um, I just read today uh, that the death toll keeps going up. It's now over 46,000 people. Now, listen, it's, it's so easy to think, oh, well, that's, you know, another side of the world and, you know, and, and out of sight, out of mind. But listen, the, the death toll is half of Bend. One out of every two people in Bend would have died in this. That's like how big this is. So this isn't, you know, an earthquake and, oh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure it destroyed buildings. No, no, it's devastated entire communities. So um, a couple things. We're going gonna, gonna, gonna to pray here in a second, but, um, but also um, we've partnered with 
medical teams um, uh, international in the past. And, um, and, uh, and so I just want to give you the opportunity to, if, if, if you f- so feel inclined to donate or, or you want to contribute in some way, um, you can jump on their website. This is a, an organization that we have vetted and have uh, partners, partnered with and have uh, connections with and people, you know, that, that even new hopers that are affiliated with this. And so if, there's, if you're trying to think of, I want to give, but I want to make sure it goes directly to the need, you can give directly to them. You can go online to the website, um, medicalteams.org, medical and can donate that way. So um, let me, before we even jump in, I, I think it's, uh, it would be more than appropriate to say, Lord, we just, we just want to pray. We want to pray for Turkey and the lives affected. So will you bow with me? So Lord, uh, it's, it's hard to fathom the, uh, the amount of, of devastation in this earthquake, a couple of earthquakes actually, and, and, and we can't imagine what life is like in that region as right now it's just, it's just crisis and recovery and trying to figure out what's next. We know people's lives have been completely turned upside down and the devastation of losing not just their homes, but their loved ones. So we pray, God, for your grace and your mercy. We pray for your comfort. And we pray, Lord, that you you would move in the lives of those who are there providing care and meeting needs with strength and energy. God, we pray for those who are surviving and, and now left with all of the questions. We pray your grace for them. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask that, that all of us, as we think about Turkey, that, that, um, that we also continue to pray and ask um, God to continue to uh, meet needs in this crisis. Um, we are, uh, so this is week seven of our misunderstanding of the Bible. And we've gone seven weeks now we've, uh, of talking just, just about the Bible. And, and not even specifically, we've of course opened it and looked at it, but not even like going through kind of verse by verse or the book. We've, we've just said, let's, let's do a bird's eye view of the Bible. Now, it's quiz time. Okay, you ready? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through each week, and we're going to see how much you remember. So we've been, uh, every week, we've been kind of uh, using some key terms as just a way for us to remember, kind of refresh, uh, the, uh, like, our understanding of, like, a whole, like, a topic of, of this, uh, of our theology of the Bible. And so week one, here it is. Uh, I think that you got a little feeling. So week one, we talked about, do you remember this? Canon. Good job. Okay. If you got it right, you get uh, plus one point. Good job. All right. For every word you get right is plus one point. All right. Um, week two, then we talked about the two I words. Do you remember these? Inspiration and inerrancy. Great job. Oh, wow. Okay. So some of you are plus three. Good job. Right. Some of you are cheating with your neighbor and that's fine. We'll allow it. Uh, and we talked about inspiration, that the, the, the Bible is inspired, the inspired word of God, and that it's inerrant, meaning it's without error, and it is trustworthy. And we spent a whole Sunday talking about, about those things. Then week three, we talked about two, two more things, another I word, and then a, a different word altogether. Do you remember these? Illumination and 
Authority. Okay, this section is killing it and has been coming every week. Well done. Illumination and authority. We talked about the Holy Spirit's role to illuminate and help us understand the scriptures. And then we talked about authority, that the Bible is authoritative. But if you remember, this was the one that was kind of like a little tricky. And we're like, oh, but it's all authoritative, but it's not all authoritative for us. We're new covenant people, not old covenant people. And so uh, the Old Testament laws that apply to, to, to um, Old Testament Israel don't apply to us. And so we talked about the distinction there. Um, and, then, uh, and then week four, we talked about, if you remember this, this one's easy, the C, but it's the, it's the three rules to interpreting scripture. If you remember this, all three rules. That sounds like all we learned this whole time. Like you guys nailed that. You nailed it. Context, context, and context are the are, are the, the like it. Every time you open the Bible, you have to be thinking context. We looked at context. We looked at background and why that's important. And and uh, and even some resources. I think we we gave some resources to help you understand the context and the background of Scripture. That you know some some books you can go by. Um, and then and then week five we talked about. This was a fun one. We talked about. Meaning, yeah, okay, so we're all waiting for one person to say it, and then we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. So we talked about meaning, and then a, a, a really fun French word, genre, genre, yeah, the genre, right? And we talked about how, how we, do we read the Bible literally? And we said, well, no, we, lead, we read the Bible literarily, not always literally, because not everything in the Bible is meant to be read Literally, and we had some fun with Song of Songs. You remember that? And, and we looked at a literal interpretation of how he's describing his wife, and she was a beaut. I mean, she was just gorgeous. And uh, and and so, like, not everything in the Bible is meant to be literal, but it all fits in a genre. And we talked about the importance of knowing which, like, which genre you're reading and why. And then last week we talked about purpose. Okay, good. So. Here's what I'm noticing. As we get closer to this week, we've forgotten what, like, the closest week was last week, and that was the hardest one to remember. So, um, you know what? Let's just do this whole series again. You ready? Starting, we'll just, all seven weeks. Um, We talked about purpose, and the purpose of Scripture, and we said the purpose of the Bible, why God wrote the Bible, why we have the Bible, is so that not so we can like be a better person, not so that we can um, like have it to study as a science book or a history book or a self-help book. It is so that we can know God. The reason we have the Bible, the reason it exists, the reason we read it is so that we can know God. And the extent that we know the Bible is how we know God. So we said, if you wanna know God more, guess what you gotta do? You gotta know the Bible more. We talked about the purpose, like focusing specifically on faith, hope, and love, and why the Bible focuses on on those things. Okay, that brings us to this morning. And this morning, we are now talking about the focus of Scripture. The the last of our kind of our, our words here. By the way, what was your score? Anybody get a perfect score? Anyone? No. Okay, great. Yeah. We're talking about the focus of Scripture. And, and, and like specifically now, okay, we've looked at all of this other stuff now. Now tell me now, what is, what is it focusing on? Like what is it, what is the, the, the theme that kind of runs throughout all of it? Now I'm gonna start by asking a few questions um, and, and let's, just, let's just have some conversation. And, and this, again, uh, I, 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 I say this a lot and I don't, 
mean to, but at the same time, all right, here we go. I, I tend to step on toes and I unapologetically, at least sometimes, sometimes I have to apologize. This, I do not. Now, how should we approach studying the Bible? Another way to ask this is this, and, and this is what I've had conversations with, uh, with a number of people about, and that, is, and that is this. What is the most biblical kind of reading or preaching the Bible? The most biblical way to preach. This is the debate that happens. It's, it's happening since the beginning, and it will continue to happen. What is the most biblical way to preach the Scriptures? Usually what happens is we come up with two options. Expository preaching, where we say, let's look at a, a, a book of the Bible and we'll just go through it and let's look at the arguments made and we start at the beginning and we go through the end. Or on the other side is topical. And we look at a topic and we say like, well, what is this topic? Like the topic of parenting or finances or whatever it may be. And we say, what does, what does the Bible say about this topic? Now, which one is Right. Now, now, this is the debate. We, we, we say both, and I, I think you should, but not everyone does. Here's what I have experienced, and the tendency is this, that the only, the, 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 the most proper and uh, an appropriate way to understand and walk through a scripture, certainly to preach on a Sunday, is expository or expositional. And there are people, and, and listen, I, it's fine. Like I, 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 don't, I don't mind this. Well, they'll, they'll say, I only want expository preaching because that's the most biblical. I've had conversations with people in my office who come in and say, hey, you know, uh, even people who are like, hey, we, we think we need to find a new church because we want to do expository preaching only. And I said, hey, I totally get it. Totally get it. Now, let's, can, I, can, I, can I have the conversation with you that I have with them? No, you didn't give me permission, but I don't care. Here we go. <laughs> I say two things. First, be careful that we don't get to a place where we pride ourselves on the kind of preaching instead of actually like what it, the Bible says. Like we can get to a place where we say, like almost we prop ourselves up and say, well, I only like this kind of preaching because it's the right one or my church, X, X Y, Z. Now, listen, I, I, now I'm, I'm, again, I'm stepping on toes and it's fine. So I say, if, if, if it's expository preaching for because you just really love it, all right, I, I understand that. I, I too love expository preaching. And we do it, we do it. We go, I think last year we went through three books of the Bible. So I'm, I'm like, expository preaching, great. Now, the second thing is this. Can you find me one expository sermon in the Bible? Just find me one. And they'll go through their, I remember having this moment with some people and, and like, just like, let's just think about this now. Go through everything you know about the Bible and think about an expository sermon. Just give me, just give me a sermon. Now, can you think of any topical sermons? Uh, yeah, quite a bit actually. In fact, listen, here's, here's the, here, I'll give you, let me just give you the answer, ready? All of them are topical. The, the Sermon on the Mount, you know what Jesus does? He goes from one topic to the next. 
just rapid fire. And you're like, oh, but that's, that's Jesus. He can do that. Well, sure. But so does Paul in the book of Romans. Like they quote from all over the place building their argument. So, so listen, so all that to say, I love expository preaching and I love expository going through the book of the Bible, but let's not, let's not, th- let's not like come to the conclusion that that's the only appropriate way to preach because every sermon, literally every sermon we see is topical, going through like a, an experience or a topic or a history and weaving verses together. This is what they did. And, and so listen, I, I bring this up to say a couple things. First, it is, if topical preaching done right is extremely profitable. Do you know what we've been doing for six weeks? Topical preaching. We've been going through the topic of the Bible. Like you wouldn't get that if you just go through an expository sermon. So there are plenty of times where you go, this is beneficial. And, and so the ask, like we have to ask the question, why? Why does, like, why do the New Testament writers preach and write and, and like speak with topics? And the, the reason is because of this, ready? They understand the focus of the Bible. And the focus, listen, again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't do expository preaching. We're gonna do expository. We're gonna go through more books of the Bible this year. We do it, and then we love it, and I love it, and we will continue to do it. But what, what the New Testament writers understand is that like, though, like, what we really need isn't just simply saying, well, let's just go through what this book or letter or verse by verse says. What they do is they say, no, no, no. Let's pull back and let's see why it all fits. What are the themes that weave throughout all of them? And let's talk about that because there's one central theme. It is a topic that goes through all of the scriptures. The focus of the Bible is not, ready? Ready? is not a what, it's a who. The focus of the Bible is not, well, let's just go through this and decide what this means or what this means or how this works. Here's a, here's a great thing about, about a great passage about this or this book. And, and, and we, we, we can tend to do this. We can tend to, to read it in such a way where we say, well, this is one self-contained unit and book of the Bible, and this is one self-contained unit, and, and this is one, and they are, but listen, they all relate because they are all talking, not about a what, but a who. So reading the Bible faithfully is reading the Bible, here it is, ready? With Jesus in mind. So we're gonna spend this morning now talking about why this this central theme literally through all the scriptures is a who, and it's about Jesus. And it's what the New Testament uh, writers understood that, that, listen, we're going to make connections. Now we're rereading the Old Testament in light of of Jesus and, and making connections to say, wow, this really is, there really is a theme throughout all of this, and the theme is Jesus. So let's look at this. Uh, a helpful way of, uh, of thinking about the Bible was, um, I read this and, and this stuck with me uh, by one uh, Old Testament theologian and, and writer, um, commentator. He says this, each individual biblical story begins in the setting of the story as a whole, stretching from the beginning to the end. He's talking about the Bible now, with, with the Christ event at the center. The Christ event is the life of Jesus, like all things kind of centered around Jesus. 
The second Testament story or New Testament has to be read in light of the story related in the first, the Old Testament and vice versa. Here's what he says, ready? The two Testaments are like two acts of one play. People cannot expect to understand act two if they miss act one, nor act one if they leave at the intermission. Neither act can be understood independently of the other. I, I remember reading this and being like, oh man, you nailed it. Of course you did. You're a scholar. Like this is what you do. You, and, and he says, that, like, don't think of the Testaments as like to, two totally different stories or experiences. Rather, it's act one and then an intermission and, 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 then, and then act two. And if you've ever been to the theater or play or of any kind, whether it be like, you know, uh, like your high schooler or, or you've been to like Broadway, you realize if you leave at intermission, you don't get the whole story. In fact, if at intermission comes and they leave you hanging, that's the point. It gets to a point, maybe there's like rising conflict and it gets to, and then you're like, man, how are they gonna figure this out and how are they gonna solve this? And then the lights come on, the curtains, you're like, no, we have to wait now intermission and we go and everyone goes to the lobby and you know you go buy stuff or eat stuff and then you're like all right we come back in and listen nobody in their right mind leaves at intermission because you know there's a like all the resolution to all the stuff that was brought up comes in the second act and so when we think of the bible as that as act one the old testament and then there's an intermission and then act two starts and we get these gospels and we realize, oh, act two solves and answers all the questions of act one. And act two, ready, makes way more sense when you've studied and you looked at and you sat through act one. Also, nobody comes halfway at intermission and says like, hey, let's just go to the second half. That's the best part anyways. Let's just forget about it. Like, no, in fact, we're gonna get there early. We're gonna make sure we got our seats because the whole story fits together in two acts. The Bible, what do you know? Is two acts. So let's go through this and let's look at act one, the Old Testament, and say, all right, how is, Jesus wasn't even alive. How is the Old Testament now? How does that focus on Jesus? So, there are three ways that you can think of that, that I think will be helpful to, for you to mem- even remember of, of specifically how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And the first is this. It is Christ-patterned. There are gonna be three P words just to make it really easy to understand. In theology, these are referred to as, okay, this is a, a big theological like, like, uh, kind of focus. It's not a hard word to understand. And they're called types, just like a type, T-Y-P-E. A type is a person or a thing in the Old Testament that represents or points to a person or a thing in the New Testament. And there are so many capital T types of Jesus in the Old Testament that point to this person in the New Testament. And, and those who are in Act 1, who are in the show and don't make it to Act 2 because they just simply didn't live that long, they don't know what the type is pointing to. But when you get to Act 2 and the New Testament writers and they start making connections saying, oh my goodness, you guys remember when that happened with Moses? That was actually pointing to Jesus. Even though they didn't know that. 
the, the, like the, the, the questions become answered in Jesus. Do you remember when this happened? Yeah. That was actually Jesus. It was a, a, a foreshadow of him to come. Now let's go through some examples. Genesis chapter 22, verse eight. We see this. This is Abraham and his son, and he's going up the mountain to offer a sacrifice. And, and, and then he says this. Isaac asks, all right, dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the, where's the lamb we're gonna use? Because he was told you're gonna sacrifice him, your, your only son. And, and he says this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, he has no idea what he's referring to. But he knows God is gonna do this. God's gonna take care of this somehow. I don't know what this is gonna look like. He doesn't know that he's actually talking about when Jesus comes and he says, I am the lamb of the world. Like, I am the lamb. That he's actually pointing to, like this experience is a type pointing to Jesus. In fact, we even see in the same story, a ram caught, like his head is caught in thorns. Are you kidding me? You mean like Jesus was, when, he, when they placed a crown of thorns on his head, like specifically as the sacrifice? Like, like there's so many parallels to what happens in the Old Testament, an actual event, a historical, this happened. And, and then the New Testament writers say, oh my goodness, you guys, that was God laying breadcrumbs for us to follow to get to Jesus. And these are called types. Um, here's, uh, here's another one that Jesus actually makes a, a reference to and he points to and says, um, hey, listen, this, let, me just, let me just make a connection here. There are so many throughout the Bible. In John chapter three, it says this. This is right before the famous verse, 316. Let's look at 314 and 15. Again, context, context, context. Here's what it says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone that be who believes in him may have eternal life in him. So he pulls back this reference to, to Moses lifting up a snake, and you're like, what is that talking? That is such a weird event. And you go read it, and you're like, man, that is just different. And people who looked at the snake got healed, and, and, he, and, he, and it was his job to like hold this up. because. And, and you're going, man, this is a weird story, until you realize, oh, that is literally a living illustration of what Jesus is gonna do. And Jesus makes this connection. He says, you guys remember when Moses did this? He says, all right, and guess what? Same thing's gonna happen to the Son of Man. That is an arrow pointing to me. It is a type pointing to Jesus. We see, I mean, we could go through literally hundreds of these, um, and we see that Christ is patterned in the Old Testament because it's pointing to him. Something, an event, or an expression, or a, even a person, and what they did is pointing to him. Paul makes this connection with Adam, that Jesus is the second Adam, because the first Adam, he kind of messed up things up a little bit, and now we have a second Adam who's gonna make, like, make right, and you're going, oh, you're making all these connections. Yes, because Jesus is patterned in the Old Testament. The second thing that we look at how, um, how Act 1, the Old Testament, is Jesus concealed is this. It's Christ promised. Not just Christ pattern, but it's Christ promised. There are more than 300 prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfills. Now listen, that's like, oh, that's cool, that's nice. All right, no, 
just let's, 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 do, let's do some quick math. I'm a firm believer that math can solve anything. So let's do some quick math. Um, there have been a number of theologians and mathematicians who've looked at this and said, all right, the probability of, uh, of one person fulfilling just eight, just eight prophecies is one out of 10 to the 17th power. This is one out of, uh, one out of uh, 100 quadrillion, num- like the number is 100 quadrillion. This is, this is literally uh, 100,000 trillion. Here's your odds, ready? One out of 100,000 trillion. Okay, that, listen, that is a number that's hard for us to even think about. We, th- we, can, we can kind of understand trillion, right? Because we looked at like, you know, national debt and spending and we go, okay, I, I, I see that word. I don't know how many like actual dollars that is, but it's a lot, all right? A billion is a thousand million. A thousand million is a billion. And a thousand billion is a trillion. All right, a thousand, listen, if you had a thousand billion dollars, you have one trillion dollars. You're going a thousand billion, I'll take a thousand. I would like a thousand, like a, a thousand billion is a trillion and a thousand trillion is a quadrillion. And the odds of one guy fulfilling just eight of them is a hundred quadrillion. Okay, that's one with uh, 10, one with 17 zeros behind it. Like, okay, like I'd like to see that on my check, right? That's a lot of zeros. I like zeros. That's just eight. Then they did some math and said, all right, what about 48? Let's just do 48. One person fulfilling 48 of these Old Testament prophecies. And the number is one out of 10, not to the 17th power, but to the 157th power. Now, we're, we're getting into numbers that like, I don't even know how to say them, right? A, a quadrillion, okay. And then you keep going up and you're going, we're running out of words to describe the, the, the size of this number. And listen, that's just 48, so what the, here's the point. Statistically, one person to fulfill 300 is, 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 is as close to impossible as pure chance as you can get. So Jesus fulfilling 300 prophecies is kind of a big deal. It's, and these aren't prophecies, here's the thing. Listen, these aren't prophecies written after the fact. It's easy to know you and your life and, be, and then write down like, oh, and then they're gonna uh, marry this person and they're gonna go and live here and then, you, and then you backdate it, right? You predate it to like before all that happens. You go, oh, look at these prophecies. That's so crazy. How did I know? I just, I'm just brilliant. I'm just a genius. Well, no, you cheated. <laughs> these aren't cheats. These are prophecies that have been in effect for hundreds, some thousands of years before Jesus even shows up. So, Christ promised, we see in the Old Testament, we see this, Luke 22, it says this. Jesus says, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. This is one of the prophecies he fulfills. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Jesus actually knows this, and he knows the prophecies, and he's going, hey, even this one that you don't even understand, that one's about me too. And guess what? It's reaching its fulfillment. I'm almost there. I've almost fulfilled this one as well. 
and he, and he go, there's, there's so many, you can, spend, you can spend hours just going through like all of the 300 plus prophecies and seeing how Jesus fulfills them. And it's a great, it's a great study. It's definitely not a waste of your time. We see this in 1 Peter. Peter writes this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who wrote all this stuff, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, who wrote, wrote about future that they don't even know about, they searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Here's what Peter understands, that these guys who are writing this down, they searched diligently to try and figure out when is this gonna happen? This Messiah that, that, that the Lord is telling us about, that his Spirit is telling us about, when is this gonna happen? And Peter goes, they even knew. They didn't know it was Jesus, but they knew there was someone coming that was gonna fulfill all of this. And they searched intently. And then he says, what they looked for now has been revealed and preached to you. And then he goes on to say, even angels look into these things and be like, how does this all work? He understood that what they were writing, that, they, that though, though they didn't know it was about Jesus, oh, it was very much pointing to Jesus. We see this, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, for no matter how many promises God made, he says this, they are yes in Christ. Like for, for all of them, all of the promises that he talks about, he says, Jesus answers them with, yes, they are. He is the fulfillment. And then we see this. Not only, not only is Christ's pattern or Christ's promise, but we see this in the Old Testament that Christ is actually present. Not as like the person, the man named Jesus, but as this Messiah, the second person of the Trinity who's gonna show up because he's existed for all times in eternity past. So he shows up at times in the scriptures that if you're looking for, you go, ooh, that, that is different. And, and New Testament authors make connections and realize that was actually Jesus. Here's, we're gonna go through these really quick. Here's some examples. The I am in whom Abraham rejoiced Jesus says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. And he goes, he rejoiced to see my day. What? You just put yourself in that moment? He says, yeah, before Abraham was. Ready? I am. And, and their response, we gotta kill this guy. He just claimed to be Yahweh, like the I am. Um, we see that the Lord who motivated Moses, Hebrews tells us, was Christ that Jesus actually motivated and helped Moses get the courage to take his people out of Egypt. Again, these, you can write these references down and have fun just going, reading through them. The Redeemer who brought them out of Egypt, Jude tells us, was Jesus. It was the Christ. Like, what? They're making these connections saying, no, no, listen, all these things that have happened is actually Jesus. We see this at the rock in the wilderness was also Christ. Paul writes that, hey, the, this thing that sustained them, this rock, this rock that, that helped keep them alive, you know what that rock is? It wasn't just a actual rock, ready? That was Christ. What? The rock? Is that, that was Jesus sustaining them through a rock. We see this, that the angel of the Lord um, th that is written about so often, he shows up in the Old Testament so many times. And so like the, the, another fun study is to do a study of the angel of the Lord. We see this, that it is the pre-incarnate Christ. Here's an example in Genesis 22. And, and we see that there are so many times that this angel shows up. It's not just an angel. It says, and the angel of the Lord, a very specific title, shows up and then he speaks first person as God. What? 
They don't know how to describe who this, this, this person, this, 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 this being is. They don't know that that's Christ, but they're just like, he's just an angel. He shows up, an angel of the Lord, but he's actually like first person speaking as God. Ooh. Again, we get to the New Testament and, and we look at this and we say, oh, those are Jesus present in the Old Testament. Jesus in the Old Testament reveals him in, in, in uh, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed in Jesus' pattern. He's promised and he's present. So, Act 2 shows up. We get to Act 2. Act 2 now is the New Testament and we see this. Jesus, in the, in the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. In the New Testament, it's Jesus, ready, revealed now. What was hidden in the Old Testament and not understood by them that was pointing in arrows to something else, now we get to the point and we get to act two and we say, oh, that makes sense. It ties it all together. And they start making all these connections with the Old Testament to the new because, wow, this really is all about Jesus. We see Jesus he walks with religious leaders through this truth because they don't get it. There's a, two particular passages where we see Jesus does this, and, and it's, they're incredible. The first is this, and he walks through with, with his enemies, with the people who want him dead. The religious leaders in John chapter 5, he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures, he says, that testify about me. The Old Testament scriptures that you study diligently, looking, hoping for life, here's what you don't realize, that they are testifying about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. A few verses later, verse 46, he says, if you believed Moses and all the stuff he wrote down, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You could see why they would be a little upset with this guy showing up, claiming that the Old Testament, especially Moses, the guy, like the guy of all the guys, and Jesus says, oh, he was writing about me. But they didn't get it. According to Jesus, Moses wrote about himself. And that this realization of this truth is what leads to life in Jesus. Now, um, he has another experience after, like after his death and resurrection and he shows up and he's still kind of like not fully known to everyone, hasn't revealed himself, but, but he shows up to two disciples that are walking on the road, talking amongst themselves about all the stuff that's happening and they're like, man, what is going on? And this guy shows up and he pretends to not know anything. He doesn't know anything. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, don't you know? And they go, don't you know about all the events that just happened in Jerusalem? Like, haven't you heard? And he's like, oh, Tell me about it. Like, it's, it's one of the like, greatest, like, like irony, par- like scenes where you're going, man, if this were a movie, this is like funny. This is funny how they don't get it and how he's just probably loving every second. Like, man, they have no idea that they're talking to me. And then, and then he finally reveals himself. And here's what he says. He said to them, or it says this. Um, uh, he said to them, these two, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now he's like, Let me, the, the great reveal. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then it says this. He didn't even at this moment show them himself. He, he did something completely different. And it says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
you talk about the, one of the greatest sermons that we never got to hear. He walks through and he says, all right, don't you know this is supposed to happen? And he goes through, all right, let's start with Moses. Let's talk about Moses and how it points to me. And let's go through all the prophets and how they point to me. He understood and recognized and realized and shared with them all of it. Listen, Old Testament, all of it points to me as the central theme through it all. Then we see the rest, he, he, uh, he's gonna like have his, like kind of finish his moment with them and then they walk away and they say, didn't your hearts burn when he was talking? Like, there's something different. It's him. Like, they come to the realization, it is him. And then he's gonna show up to now all the disciples and they're all, you know, cowering in fear and then he shows up. And it says to them, uh, verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled what is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He tells them, literally, he says, all right, here's how you know who I am. Ready? Let's go do a Bible study. Let me walk you through all of the Old Testament, and you're going to see how the theme of me is woven, woven through all of it. It's this, 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 this scarlet ribbon of Jesus through the Old Testament. And he says, let me show you. He understood just how powerful it is to see him throughout the Old Testament. And he opened their minds. He gave them the, the illumination aspect so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, last week, I, uh, I told you where, hey, you're gonna have some, not really homework, but some like a challenge. A challenge to say, all right, let's commit to reading the Bible. And I said, you don't have to do any work other than just show up and say, all right, I wanna do it. So here's what we've done. Now, this I'm excited for. Okay, on your way out uh, at uh, the tables out there, you'll see uh, some options. Um, there are uh, four different reading plans that we've printed all with different, like, that have different focuses, where you can just say, all right, give me the reading plan, and literally mark off day one. I read that, great. Day two, all right, I'm telling you what to read. All right, read that. And, and, and you will get a thematic experience depending on the one you pick. So a lot of times people pick, like, uh, January 1st, they go, you know what I'm gonna do this year? I've never done this. I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. And day two, they're already behind. <laughs> and then you get to, like, February, and you're going, Oh, man. Okay. Maybe I'll do this next year, right? All right. Don't do this. If you've never really had like a, like a consistent Bible reading time, don't start by saying, you want, I'm going for it. The whole Bible. Like that's, that's a big, that's a big chunk to take to try to, to try to do like your first time out. So what you're going to do, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to say, I'm going to pick one of these smaller bite-sized meals and just get in the habit of reading the Bible daily. And, and not forever, literally, just, all right, here's some, here's some options, okay? Option one is a 30-day reading plan with Jesus. 30 days walking through the life and ministry of Jesus. At the, at the end of a month, you go, I have a fuller understanding and like a picture of Jesus. It's all written out. It's like, you know, read a chapter or even just a half a chapter a day. That's it. And by 30 days, you do this and you go, man, I just spent 30 days reading and learning about Jesus. Awesome. Okay, so that is an option for you, all right? All these are printed in the back for you, by the way. Um, we have uh, two copies of each one, so good luck. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's plenty of copies. If we run out, we can always print more. Uh, the, the, the second option is a, a reading plan, 30 days, ready for this, for new Christians. 
So maybe you're kind of new to this or you've never really like, ta- like really considered what it looks like to read the Bible or to get like to do a kind of a, 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 a more fuller understanding. All right, for you, there's 30 readings of, all right, let's just help you understand kind of the foundations of Christianity. So you spend 30 days, one time a day, right, going through reading a chapter or literally like often it's just a, a passage um, or a few paragraphs a day going, all right, I understand that. So if, if that's you and you want kind of a, a you know, a, a cliff notes of the whole like thing really quickly, pick that one. 30 days for new Christians. Okay, here's the big dog one. Ready? This is, uh, you can see it's double-sided. So this is for like you overachievers. Um, this is 100 days, uh, 180 days, a guided tour of the Bible. This is six months of not the entire Bible, but kind of a, all right, we're just gonna take you kind of a flyover for six months of all things in the Bible. So you're gonna get kind of all the high points in the the various books of the Bible. And by the end of it, you say, man, I have like a really good kind of overall view grasp of the Bible. This is certainly less than than saying, I'm gonna do the Bible in a year. This is a much shorter kind of, all right, I'm just wanna just get it. I just wanna get into it. And I want to do, I'm going to commit 180 days. Like that's, that's a big commitment. But you, I promise, you can do this. It's about a chapter a day. And it's all written out. It's all themed out. And you're like, oh man, this is really good. Okay, that's an option for you. All right, here's the last one. This one is really cool. This is two-sided. But this is not a plan. This is like six, eight, nine, ten. There's like, there's like 11 plans on here. This is full of two-week guided tours reading the Bible, in which you look at the topic. So, for instance, it's two weeks on the life and teaching of Jesus. All right, I want to spend two weeks just going through the life of Jesus. Great. Here it is. Two weeks on what it means to become a Christian. Two weeks on prayers in the Bible. Two weeks on the Holy Spirit. Two weeks in the Old Testament. Um, Two weeks on men of the Old Testament. Two weeks on women of the Bible. And so you're going, all right, this is a a, a kind of a, a potpourri, so to speak, of Bible reading plans where you go, man, I want to spend two weeks t- reading about this and I want to spend two weeks reading about that. So that, if that's interests you, grab that. And this one will keep you busy for a long time where you're just kind of marking off, all right, I'm going two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. This is months worth and, and just bite-sized pieces. So here's the challenge, okay? Those are four reading plans. Now, there are countless reading plans. There's reading plans on your phone. You can go online and download whatever. You can do whatever you want. But if you're like, just give me a paper. I don't know where to start. Just, just I need something I can mark off. Listen. This is it, right? So on your way out, we're gonna pray here and then, and then close. Uh, we're gonna worship the Lord and then close. On your way out, grab one of these or a few of them. Now, don't, please don't do this. Don't take the whole stack and be like, oh, my family will love this. I'm gonna give this to everyone I know because there are other people around here who will, uh, they won't say it publicly, but they will look down on you, right? They will judge you hard if you take like the entire stack. So take a few if you're like gonna, I wanna do the two-week guided tours and I wanna do the 30 days with Jesus. All right, great. And leave the rest or come back. We'll leave them out for the next, you know, few weeks or so. We can keep replenishing and leave them out. So if you come and you finish one, you wanna grab another one, great. Don't feel like you gotta like grab it all right now or else. But let me do encourage you and challenge you to do this. Grab at least one. Grab one. Commit to say, all right, I'm gonna do one. I'll do, I can do one of those and spend some time. We've been talking about the Bible now for seven weeks. All right, now, now it's time to say, all right, I want to jump in. I want to jump in. And I want to see this theme of Jesus woven through all of it. The focus of the Bible is not a what, it's a who. 
So when we read the Bible, when we go through these plans, to do it faithfully means reading it with Jesus in mind. Would you do this? Would you stand? Let me pray for us, and then we're going we're to worship together. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've given us your word and that we can know you through your word. We worship you now as the one who created and sustains everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.